Hey everybody, good to see you guys. Uh, glad those of you that are here online as well are with us. Uh, man, a beautiful day, great time to be together. Hey, I was, uh, I was 14. I had only been a Christian for about uh, two years. And although I was going to church and youth group regularly, I really was not uh, growing in my faith. My spiritual growth was very slow and sporadic. It wasn't really a bold journey of growth. It was more like a uh, weak journey of underdevelopment <laughs> until I showed up to this new church. Uh, this new church has started in, in our community, and my friend had invited me to the youth group. And so uh, this was a bold church. It was a fruitful church. They were just uh, Christians who were excited about Jesus and telling people about Jesus and helping grow people in the relationship with Jesus. So I started going to this youth group and to this church. And uh, my first night there at the youth group, I met this man named Clark. Clark was just a, a single adult that just loved kids, loved Jesus, and he was just um, super friendly. And that first night, he just took a great interest in me. He, he just wanted to know about my life and about my faith. And uh, next thing I know, I just I loved going to youth group and meeting with Clark. And, and then pretty soon, he was, he was picking me up and taking me home sometimes from youth group. And he just he invested in me. And he started discipling me and telling me about how to walk with Jesus. And at that point in time, because of that bold and fruitful church, and because of Clark, uh, I just hit a whole other gear in, in knowing how to follow Jesus and live for Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. Clark was a Barnabas in my life. And I want to ask you, who has been a Barnabas for you? Or maybe, who have you been a Barnabas for? And some of you might be thinking, who is Barnabas? And what does it have to do with anything? And so uh, for the benefit of those of you who do not know who Barnabas is, and as a reminder for those of you who do, I want to take a closer look today at this man of God, this man whose life just reflected the glory of God, and, and he, was a, he was a man in the Bible that is a good model for us. And so we're going to be looking a little bit closer at this man named Barnabas. Now Barnabas was mentioned 33 times in the Bible, all of it in the New Testament. And we first see Barnabas pop up on the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 4, uh, right after the birth of the Christian church. And in Acts 4, verses 36 and 37, it says, Thus Joseph who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this Barnabas guy, his real name was actually Joseph. But the apostles applied this name Barnabas to him, son of encouragement, because clearly his words, his attitudes, his actions were great encouragement to others. He was a Levite, which means he was a Jewish man from the tribe of Levi, and this was a priestly tribe of the Jewish people. So Barnabas would have been a faithful Jew, he would have been very familiar with Old Testament, he would have been familiar with Jewish worship and uh, scriptures and law and all those things. Now he was originally from Cyprus. Now Cyprus is an island northeast of Jerusalem in the Mediterranean Sea, right off the western shores of Syria. But obviously, he was in Jerusalem during the birth of the church and became a believer in Christ. And the first action we see him take was to sell this chunk of land and donate all of the money to the church. Obviously, that was a very encouraging and generous act in the early church. The next time we see Barnabas pop up on the pages of Scripture, he shows up in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 27, it says this, And when he, and this is a reference to Saul, otherwise known as Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. 
And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so after the conversion of this great persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, um, we see him trying to get with the disciples in Jerusalem and, and, and be with them. And they're like, yeah, I'm not buying it. This guy's not a disciple. He's coming in. He's playing double agent. He's probably going to you know, hurt us. And so they were very resistant. They were very skeptical. Yet it was Barnabas who came along. Obviously, he had you know, connected with Saul, heard his story, knew that it was of God. And he, and he interceded for Saul to the early church and said, no, this guy's legit. This is, he did see Jesus. He, he's been called. He's been preaching Jesus. We can trust this guy. And so because of Barnabas and his encouragement there, uh, the disciples embraced Saul and embraced the ministry that God had for him. So today, we're going to see yet again a, a place where Barnabas shows up at a significant life in the early church. So I invite you to open up your Bibles with me right now to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And so uh, all of you should have a Bible or a Bible application. You know, we're, we're self-feeders. We're in the Word of God. And if for some reason you don't own a Bible, there's not one to be seen in your house, your car, anywhere, we'd love to give you one. So stop by our info center on the way out and just ask for a Bible. We'd love to give that to you. And as we resume here in our series called Voyage, we're, we're looking at the bold journey of growth of the early church. And we're extracting lessons from individual, uh, for us as individuals and for us as a community to know how to walk more faithfully with Christ and to grow. And so we're looking at the, the history of the church. We're looking at individuals in the history of church today, namely Barnabas, to see how we can learn and apply what we learn from the voyage of the church and its growth. So we should all be in Acts chapter 11, and we're just going to polish off the chapter, starting with verse 19. It says, now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists were Greeks. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So this is a snapshot of the early church. We see a shift from Jerusalem now to Antioch. And Antioch becomes really the, the Christian hub of ministry uh, during this time. And Barnabas was a key player 
in this activity. And, and really what we see is every bold and fruitful church has, a, has Barnabas-like people. Well, what are the qualities that we see in Barnabas in this part of Acts chapter 11? Well, there's six qualities I want to highlight today. First, we see that he rejoiced in God's work. Second, he encouraged other believers. Third, he evidenced godly character. Fourth, he invited others into God's work. Fifthly, he was devoted to disciple others. And lastly, he produced lasting fruit. And so we want to look at these six qualities with the question of how am I doing as far as being like a Barnabas type person? So the first quality is this, Barnabas rejoiced in God's work. Now, because of the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the, the, the intensity and the hostility in Jerusalem increased. So all those Christians fled Jerusalem because of the persecution, because of Stephen. This is what we're seeing here. And as they scattered, they took the message of Jesus with them. They took the gospel. It's so cool how God even uses some of the most difficult situations still for his purpose and glory. And so God was using the scattering, the great dispersion of the Christians to get the gospel, the message of his love and grace and forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was getting that message out. And what we see here is at first, as the believers were going out, they were only telling other Jews about Jesus because Jews had context. And so it was like, hey, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the Christ, we know him, we've seen him, we believe in him as Jesus, Yeshua, and they would preach only to Jews. But what we see take place here in Antioch is that some bold believers showed up in Antioch and started sharing gospel with the Greeks. This is really the first time we see in Scripture that the believers of Christ are now in a completely pagan culture. This is just darn Jews that are dominating the culture. It's not Samaritan where it's half Jew, half other. It's, it's, this is completely um, a foreign pagan culture, and they're sharing the gospel in Antioch. Now, where was Antioch? Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, so this was a big distance, and Antioch was the third largest and most important Roman city in the Roman Empire of that time. And it was just this melting pot of people. There were Jews, there were Arabs, there were Greeks, there were Romans. Antioch was a commercial city. It was cosmopolitan. It had a lot of business. It had a lot of corruption. And it was morally depraved. It was known for its indulgence, and as far as spirituality, it was spiritually dominated by the pagan cults, a lot of them that involved prostitution worship. It was a very sexual culture, you know, worship of Aphrodite and all these others. So, so this was the, the temperature spiritually in Antioch. And as the believers migrated into Antioch with the message of Jesus, people started responding in faith. And what I love about this is it was God's work. It was God's hand. When we look, look in your Bible again at verse 21, it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This was because of God's hand upon the believers. That's why when we have friends and loved ones who don't know Jesus, one of the most important things we can do is just keep praying for them. We, we want to ask God's hand to do something. It's the, it's the hand of the Lord that saves people. We're, we're, he uses us in his business, but it's really the work of the Lord. And so it's God's work that was going on. And so if we're going to be Barnabas-like people, we too will learn how to rejoice in God's work. Look what it said in Acts eleven twenty three. As Barnabas shows up, because word got back to Jerusalem, hey, something's going on in Antioch. 
Man, people are, are professing faith in Christ. It's 300 miles away. We got to check this out. Well, who are we going to send? Well, let's send Barnabas. So, so the church dispatched Barnabas to go investigate and validate what was going on in Antioch. And look at 1123. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And Barnabas witnessed what the Lord was doing and brought him joy. And so if we're going to be Barnabas-like people, we're going to have joy and gladness when we hear about what the Lord is doing. Like when you hear of people that don't know the Lord, that are starting to show curiosity in Scripture and want to open the Bible, does that bring you joy? When people who don't know the Lord start to feel drawn to God and start to pray and start to seek Him because He's pouring that and drawing them in their life, uh, does that bring you joy in your life? When unbelievers are saying, hey, I want to go to church with you or, or tell me more about your relationship with Christ, like that should bring us joy. Does it bring you joy? Or when you hear about those things, is it just kind of like, eh, is it flat or boring or uninteresting when you hear about the movement of God in people's lives? I mean, let's just put it in context here for a minute. What would give you more joy? Someone coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or the Cavs winning the series or the Browns winning the Super Bowl? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many people like, that would just be the ultimate. No, the ultimate is when a person relocates spiritually from hell to heaven. Amen. That's what brings us joy when God's hand is at work. Let me give you a couple examples of just in the last few days of, of what God's been doing. Most of you know that we had a team of people who went to Appalachia to serve on short-term missions trip. Uh, they're, they're, they're coming back this week. This is just one of the stories of what God's done. Uh, during one of the work sessions, our team was working on a basement for the women's um, uh, rehab center. And Brian, who's sitting down here, was, was working with these young men who are locals. And the conversation developed. And you know what? He sat down, got his pencil out, and started presenting the gospel with three circles conversation guide. This guy, Lee, in the white shirt that was on the left there, was listening and started engaging in conversation. He says, I want to think about this. The next day, they have some more conversation, and Lee goes, I need to give my life to Christ, gives his life to Christ. It's like, that's exciting, man. That guy just transferred locations. That should, we should really, truly, authentically be filled with joy when we hear about that. I, I'm joyful for several reasons. One, we have a team of people serving just being the hands and feet of Jesus. Another, we've got people sharing the gospel. They're sharing the news of Jesus. And then we got people responding. That tends to go together. Loving and serving people, sharing the gospel, people responding. A lot of you know, of course, that we've adopted an unreached people group in Indonesia, the solely people of Pearl Island. We've sent two teams over there this summer. We have two young men over there right now, Chris and Joe. So we got this baptism picture yesterday on the north side of the island. You got to drive to the north side of the island, park your car, uh, hike 90 minutes into this village. There's been a man there that uh, some of the folks that are sharing Jesus have been talking to, have presented the gospel to, have had multiple conversations and visits. This guy a couple days ago says, you know what? I repent. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save my sins. I want to be saved. Get saved. They baptize this Indonesian Muslim man now as a follower of Christ. There's only been like five people on the island ever baptized in the name of Jesus. He's one of them. And that's because our team is doing stuff. Like that should fill us with joy that God is doing these things. It should bring us great joy when we hear what the hand of the Lord is doing at home and around the world. Because of fruitful churches, because of bold churches. You know, every fruitful and bold church has Barnabas-like people. And Barnabas-like people rejoice at the work of God. So be a Barnabas. 
and learn to rejoice about what God's doing in and around you. The second quality we see with Barnabas is this. Barnabas encouraged other believers. We already saw in Acts 4 and Acts 9 how Barnabas encouraged the early church, the disciples in Jerusalem, the apostle Paul personally. And as Barnabas showed up here in Antioch and saw what the Lord was doing and was filled with joy, what did he contribute? What did he bring? Encouragement. Look at verse 23 in your Bible. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them. That's also a word for encouraged. He encouraged, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. His presence was encouraging. His message was encouraging. And as he saw these young believers telling people about Jesus, you know how he encouraged them? He basically said, keep on going. (laughs) He said, keep on going. Be faithful. Be steadfast. I'm behind you. How can I help? He just encouraged them. Uh, We would expect nothing less from someone named the son of encouragement, right? And so he's encouraging them. I know it's interesting. uh, This man that just came to faith on Pearl Island, uh, that just got baptized, today our two young men, Chris and Joe, are actually going to go visit him. Do you know what they're going to do? They're just going to encourage him. They're just going to show up and visit with the guy, hang out with the guy, share stories, just try to encourage him in his new faith. They're just, they're just going to go and be in Barnabas. They're just going to go and bring encouragement, just like we see here with the church in Antioch. So let me ask us, how are we encouraging other believers? How, how are you bringing encouragement to another person who loves Jesus? Who's down that needs a pickup? Who's been just going through it that needs some, um, a, a dose of support? Who's doing a great job and being faithful that needs affirmation? Who's facing temptation that might need a loving exhortation and counsel and prayer? Who are you encouraging? We can encourage. We can write a note. We can send a text. We can write an email. We can uh, provide for physical needs through money or gifts or whatever. We can put our hand on someone and just share encouraging words and pray for them. We can take someone out for coffee or a meal or invite them over. The list is endless of ways we can encourage. If you're going to be a Barnabas-like person, you've got to learn how to encourage others. Bold and fruitful churches are full of Barnabas-like people. Barnabas-like people encourage others, so be a Barnabas. Go and encourage other followers of Christ. The third quality we see here is that Barnabas evidenced godly character. Look at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, when I listen to this quality, I'm just humbled and challenged. Because I'm thinking, are there people in my life that can say those three things about me? Are are there people in your life that can say those three things about you? They said that Barnabas was, was a good man. The Greek word there is agathos. It means moral, upright pleasant and honorable. They said that he was full of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? He just let God have his way with him. He let God's Spirit just fill him up. Use my mouth, use my attitude, use my actions, God, for your glory. And he just, he just released himself to be full of the Holy Spirit and be used by God, and people could tell he was full of the Holy Spirit. And it says he was full of faith. He said he trusted God. He was a risk taker. Hey, we want you to go to Antioch. Okay, here I go. You know, you know, connecting Saul to the early church. You know, selling property, just giving all the money. Like, this man was just full of faith. He just trusted God. And he was full of the conviction that Jesus Christ was the only way to be made right with God and was the right way. And full of faith. 
Man, can the people around you say that about you? That you're a good person, moral and upright and pleasant and honorable. Can they say that you're full of the Holy Spirit? Then when they look at your life, they can say, man, you're really just trying to let God take control. You're just really trusting God to, to just use your words and your actions and your attitudes. And there's transformation in your life and there's newness in your life. You've got new life and you're just full of the Holy Spirit. They, they can say you're full of faith. Like, you just trust God. Like, it might not make sense, but you just take risk and you trust God. You really believe that God works all things together for good to those who love him or called according to his purpose. Can they look at us and say these things? And some of us might be thinking, there's some areas I'm lacking right now in that area. We know what's good. If, if God could do it for Barnabas, God could do it for us. Barnabas was just regular Joe dude. And God just used him mightily. So if God could do that for Barnabas, he could do that for us. And, and if you don't know Christ, what that means is, is you need to come to that place where you see and acknowledge your sinfulness. And, and, and you believe in Jesus Christ and who he is as God in the flesh. And, and that you trust in what Jesus has done. That his death on the cross was for our forgiveness of sin. And that his resurrection from the grave was for our freedom and our redemption to be made right with God. Like, that's the first step. And for those of us who, who know the Lord, it's all about that daily walking and yielding and drawing close and abiding in Christ. If it's true that you're a lot like the people you hang out with, then we better start hanging out with God quite a bit if we want godly character. So we got to stay in his word. We got to be talk. I'm not talking about just praying every time you have a meal, but just, just talking with God, listening to God, just spending time with the Lord. And you'll start to become more like him, and he will give you the godly character that he wants in your life. Every fruitful and bold church is full of Barnabas-like people. And Barnabas-like people evidence godly character. So be a Barnabas. And let God continue to grow you in your godly character. The fourth quality we see here in Barnabas was this. He invited others into God's work. He invited others into God's work. We look at Acts 11, 25 and 26. All this was going on in Antioch. So what does Barnabas do? It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So after uh, Saul gets saved, the Apostle Paul, eventually, they, they, because of danger, they send him back to Tarsus. He's just hanging out in Tarsus. And what happens is, as Barnabas is in Antioch, and he's, he's dealing with the, the growth explosion of the church, he basically reaches the point where he goes, I think I've tapped out on my leadership and management ability. I need some backup. And so he obviously thinks of his buddy Saul, and he goes to Tarsus. Big deal, right? Tarsus is 100 miles away. I'm like, he's not taking the Greyhound. He's not getting on a plane. He doesn't have a sports car. Like, this is a big journey, you know? So he goes all the way to Tarsus, hoping that Saul didn't take a vacation in the meantime, and is not there when he shows up, finds Saul, brings him back to Antioch. And we don't know why it was Saul. Maybe it was because Barnabas said, I need his preaching and teaching skills here. Maybe it was because God impressed him on his heart, and God wanted to start to teach Saul a little bit more about how to shepherd a community. But either way, Barnabas invited Saul, Paul, into what was going on. And so he went to Tarsus and came back and got him. You know, it's just a reminder that as we try to live for God, as we try to be faithful with the Lord, as we try to serve God, we don't do it alone. 
We invite others in. That's why life groups are important. That's why when you serve the Lord, it's good to serve side by side with others. For those of you who've served, whether it's been across the street or across the globe, you understand that. Like being with other brothers and sisters and just serving the Lord. And it's interesting, it may feed our ego to try to serve God by ourselves. Maybe it's that residual, lingering, sinful effect of self-reliance. But what we see over and over again in God's word is that he uses a community. He uses the gifts, the skills, the experiences, the backgrounds of a group of people to accomplish great things. And so you got to be a Barnabas person. You start to invite others into what God's doing in you and through you. And so every bold and fruitful church that has these Barnabas-like people means that these people know what it's like to invite others or, and accept the invitation of others to be on mission. And so for you, man, if you want to be Barnabas and like Barnabas, it's time to invite others into what God's doing in your life, through your life. It's time to serve with other people. Some of you have been sitting here and you've been invited to serve. Some of you are thinking, no, no one's ever invited me to serve. I'm just here to tell you, anytime some guy up here says, hey, we have this mission trip coming up, you've been invited to serve, just so you know. (laughs) Hey, we have sports camp coming up. Guess what? You just got invited to serve. (laughs) And we've got this opportunity. Got, you know, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's in the, you've been invited to serve. Some of you just keep, oh, no, I'll think about it. It's time. You want to be a Barnabas? Want to make a difference? Then you've got, you got to be invited in, and you've got to invite others in to serve with you. So be a Barnabas and invite others into what you're doing for the Lord. The fifth quality we see here is that Barnabas devoted himself to disciple others. Look at verse 26 in your Bibles. So here we have, Saul and Barnabas, it says, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And all these new believers in Antioch needed to be rooted. Like, think about it. They're coming from a Greek or Roman pagan background. Uh, they, they've been worshiping Aphrodite and Zeus or who knows, you know, who knows who they've been worshiping. Their worldview is very different. And so they need to be instructed. They need to be taught. They need to they live out the transformation of their mind and the heart that needs to all come together. And Barnabas is like, oh, I can't wait to do this. And he's just I mean, wringing his hands and let's get Saul on here. We're going to teach these guys. And I can just envision daily conversations that these guys have for over a year with hungry new disciples. So, so, so I can have Zeus and Jesus. No, 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 no. There's no Zeus. You can't have, it's just all Jesus. Okay. Okay, well, you know, and opening up scrolls and, and telling about, you know, the Lord. And just, it must have been amazing to be there in the church of Antioch because these guys were discipling these brand new believers. You know, Barnabas is a model discipler. And we looked at, he took, he, took, he took the time to go away to get some backup. He spent a year just investing in these brand new believers and he just discipled them and just taught them. Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? Or maybe you're young in your faith. Who's discipling you? And maybe you don't have that personal connect. It's like, hey, man, we'll, we'll, we've got opportunities here you know, through life groups and through other classes and stuff. Like, We want to grow people. So how are you growing or how, how are you growing someone else? Are you being a disciple? Or are you growing others? And we see this incredible example in Barnabas. You know, last month, uh, we kicked off this new uh, material that we're encouraging you guys to use. It's called Taproot. It's just a six-week study. Uh, it, it's, it's focusing on six characteristics of a maturing believer in Christ that we call the fruit of new life. It's, it's designed to enter into conversation and scripture about growing in the fruit of new life. We said, hey, look, our, our challenge for you this summer, get in a huddle, two or three other believers, especially if there's some younger believers in the mix, and just go through Taproot. 
and just, just grow a few people that takes six weeks, meet every other week for six weeks or six consecutive weeks and just dive in, just do something intentional about growing other believers. I got this message from a woman in our church this week after she used Taproot for the first time. She said, I just got back from Huddle and we did the first week of Taproot. It was awesome. I felt like it was concise enough to fit into the hour and a half we had together, but I also felt like it was deep enough that it really spurred great conversation. I love that it left areas to take notes and write how we can pray for each other and the accountability that we could have. As part about the what I see in you was great and tearful. Thanks for encouraging us to go through that together. Can't wait to see what the coming weeks hold. So as you're discipling others, Taproot's an option. You know, grab one of those booklets on the way out, find two, three other people, huddle up, disciple. Every bold and fruitful church is full of Barnabas-like people, and Barnabas-like people disciple others. They're devoted to discipling others. Be a Barnabas. Be devoted to spiritually growing other believers. The last quality we see here is this. Barnabas produced lasting fruit. Barnabas produced lasting fruit. As we review the verses that we've read, we see that God used Barnabas uh, to to produce spiritual fruit that lasted for eternity. Like look at verse 24. After Barnabas shows up, after he encourages the church of Antioch, what happens? Verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas had a piece of that. He had a piece of that encouragement and that support was was producing people that that were new converts, new in Christ. And he was producing fruit that was going to last for eternity. What did he do with those people? We see in verse 26, it says that they taught a great many people. I love this. A great many people got saved. A great many people got taught. It implies you don't get saved and then not taught. So all these people that got saved, all these, then they got taught. And Barnabas was pouring into them, and he got Saul into backup. You know what he was doing? He was growing disciples that would grow other disciples that would grow other disciples that would grow other disciples. And here we are as a byproduct of the fruit of faithful generations of people who knew about discipling others. It's lasting fruit. Talk about how, how cool this is. Look at verse 26. It says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, when did that term come online? Here's the deal. Followers of Christ didn't call each other Christians. What's up, Christian brother? How you doing? They didn't, hey, there's a Christian. They didn't do that. They call each other believers. They call each other brethren. They call each other the saints. They didn't call each other Christians. And we know that Jews would never call them Christians. Because for the Jewish person, the word uh, Christos, the Greek Christos, is a reference to the Messiah. And the Jewish people looked at the followers of Christ as the followers of a false Messiah. So they're heretics. So the Jewish people would have never applied the name Christos to Christians because it would have been a heretical application. They would have endorsed someone they felt was, woohoo, not there, okay? So the Jews didn't call them. Where do we get the term Christian? In the church of Antioch, as they were surrounded by this pagan culture, the pagan culture of Antioch labeled the followers of Christ Christians. It wasn't like the church in Antioch sat down and goes, well, what should we call ourselves? I don't know. Like, Jesusites. No, that's kind of weird, dude. That just sounds kind of weird. What about like Christian? Yeah, that's got a ring. That's got a ring. I like that. From this day forward, we shall be known as Christians. You know, it's like, that didn't happen. You've got this group of people that so love Jesus. 
that preached Jesus, taught Jesus, tried to follow Jesus, and all these pagans around them. What's up with these guys? They're like, I don't know, they're talking about some Jesus guy, Jesus Christ, oh, the Christ. They're like, they're followers of Christ. They're like Christians. We'll call them Christians. What an honor to carry the name of Christian. Christian means to bear the name of Christ. It means Christ's ones, that we belong to Jesus, that we preach Jesus, that we teach Jesus, that we're about Jesus Christ. We're about the Christ. We're about the Messiah. Christian, I-A-N, to be part of, to be part of Christ. I hope you boldly profess the name of Christ. And I hope you embrace and boldly say, I'm a Christian. Because it was given us that name by people who observed a group of people who so loved the Christ that they couldn't shut up about it. And they changed the community. Talk about lasting fruit. That name is still being passed on. Are you producing lasting fruit for God? What are you living for that was actually worth Christ dying for? What are you investing in right now that's actually going to outlive you? That's going to have eternal impact? What fruit are you investing in that's going to last? You know, I'm so excited. In three days, a bunch of us from CVC and from Northeast Ohio and a couple other states, in three days, we're going to be in Israel. We're taking our church's first trip to Israel. I'm so excited. One of the things that stood out in my mind for my last trip was this. As we toured and went around, and for some of you who've been, you know what I'm about to say, we went from a group of ruins to a group of ruins to a group of ruins. And as amazing as that land is, and as much as that, that trip brought the Bible to life for me, one of the most profound things I brought home was, I'm standing amongst the ruins of what once used to be lavish, opulent palaces, the best that money could buy. I'm standing in the ruins of what once used to be a magnificent fortress, impenetrable. Now, a pile of rocks that a bunch of people on a bus pull up to and get off the bus with their cameras and stand by the pile of rocks saying, this used to be. What are you building right now that's just going to be ruins? What are you pouring thousands of dollars into, years of energy and effort, What's, what's consuming your mind and your heart that really one day is just going to be ruined? Zero eternal impact. Are you producing fruit that lasts? Man, Barnabas got that. And every church that's bold and every church that's fruitful has Barnabas-like people that understand it's about producing fruit that lasts for eternity. Are you producing fruit that lasts? Be a Barnabas and do so. Now, I want to look at these six qualities for a second. As you look at these six qualities that Barnabas had in his life that we just saw in this passage, which one is the one that you need to work on most? In order to become more like a Barnabas-like person, which one is it? And I would just say, would you just laser focus your heart on that for maybe today, the days to come, and just make that a prayer? Lord, Help me to be devoted to disciple others. I'm not doing that, God. I'm not investing in other believers. I'm just, I'm just doing nothing. Lord, help me to evidence godly character. There's some flaws in me, Lord, that you know about that really just need to be purged. God, take those out of me. Lord, help me rejoice in your work. I, I rejoice in the hands of what's done by the hands of man, but I, I haven't been learning what it means to rejoice by that which you do by your hand. 
Just laser focus on that to become more like a Barnabas-like people. I'm just here to tell you, CVC is full of Barnabas-like people. I'm so grateful for the Barnabases at Cuyahoga Valley Church. We got a bunch of them. I just want to talk about one of them just for a little bit and just brag on Jesus and the work that he's done in this woman's life. Her name is Teresa Raffin. Teresa and Dante have been faithful CVCers for years. Uh, They have a little family, five boys. (laughs) A mother of five boys. That's that's crazy. But some would say six if they include her husband. Um, If you know Dante, you, you know what I mean. Teresa came to faith in Christ when she was 16, but she didn't really start to grow in her faith until she was 18. That's when she started to read her Bible, started to pray more, started to invest in Christian community. She had three women that specifically just really helped be a Barnabas in her life. There was a woman named Cheryl, Jean, and and her very own sister. These women encouraged her. They pointed her to Jesus. They've invested in her spiritually. They, They were Barnabases in her life. And she started to grow in her desire to be a Barnabas for other women. And she started to invest in the lives of other women. And she got involved in women's life groups and started serving in Momtourage, which is a ministry that focuses on encouraging moms with young children. And I sat and talked with Teresa the other day. And as we started talking about just discipleship and investing in others, she just lit up. Just became very passionate about investing and discipling into the lives of other people. A very visible joy that she had. Well, just over two years ago, one of the women that Teresa had a chance to connect with was Ophelia. Ophelia's husband, Caesar, works at a restaurant, and the Raffins came in and connected with them. They were missionaries, cleverly disguised as customers. Soon after that, Teresa was inviting Ophelia and her sons over to the park to play, inviting them over to her home and to momtourage and to life groups. The Raffins also invited the Vargas family to church, and they came. Eventually, both of the Vargases came to Christ. And Ophelia shared with me that she's closer to the Lord, stronger in her faith, and a better wife and mom because of the support, encouragement, and biblical influence and counsel she's received from Teresa. Ophelia was baptized last year on Easter. Recently, Ophelia has found herself now reaching out to some other young moms. Guess what she's doing? She's building relationships. She's inviting them to play dates, and she's inviting them to church and to momtrage and to life groups. And the legacy is living on. You know, both those women just want to brag on Jesus for anything that God has given them as far as influence into their life and any influence that they've had with their life. But I think you understand the point of what it means to be a Barnabas-like people. You know, it's interesting. The church in Antioch was a bold, fruitful church. It was evangelistic. It was outreach-centered. It was discipleship-centered. Disciples grew. They made an impact in their community. It became the headquarters of the Christian community. It became a church sending people to do God's work. It was a church in the north doing a great work for God. I wouldn't mind being in Antioch church. I think we already are in a sense, but we could do more. Well, if we want to be an Antioch-like church, then we need to have Barnabas-like people. God has and is and will always raise up Barnabases. Will you be one of them? My challenge this morning is simply this. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. You know, in response to today's message, if it's been clear to you that you need to give your life to Christ, we'd love to tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus. But we need you to take the initiative. We're going to see if you're serious about it. And so uh, we encourage you just in the next couple minutes, if you need to learn more about following Christ, text us Jesus at that number. 
And that will initiate some contact where we want to come back and touch with you and tell you how you can find new life in Christ and to grow in your faith. If you don't have a device, you can take one of the cards around you, the response cards, and just write, I want to receive Christ. And we'll get in touch with you and tell you how you can respond and follow Christ. For those of you who are believers in Christ already, which one of those six traits do you need to grow in? How are you going to grow in being a Barnabas? Maybe it's taking that huddle and taproot and meeting with some folks this summer. Maybe it's getting a life group. Some of you have never been in a life group. It's just time. Just make the time. Make it that important. And just take your next step to grow. The last thing I want to say is this. As we looked at the end of Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch rallied to help their brothers and sisters during a famine in Judea. They were generous. They entrusted uh, godly people with their money to make a difference in the world and to do the Lord's work. And I just want to say, thank you, CVC. Thank you for praying. Thank you for serving here. Thank you for giving here. Thank you for entrusting us with your resources to try to do the Lord's work. And the Lord is working. Lee in Appalachia, a man in Indonesia, Teresa, Ophelia, and the many others that are growing are fruit from you investing. It's eternal impact. It's fruit that lasts. And so I just want to say thank you for doing that. And at this point forward, let's just continue to be faithful, continue to be Barnabas-like people, to have a bold and fruitful church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder today. Thank you for the reminder that Barnabas brings us about someone who's faithful, God, who rejoices in your work, God, who's devoted to disciple others, that's investing in fruit to last, God, that's evidencing godly character, Lord, all these things that we desire. God, I pray that anyone that is here today that doesn't know you, that after hearing more about what it means to follow Jesus, God, that you would draw them to yourself and they would respond. And God, for those of us who know you already, God, would you just continue to make us more like Barnabas? We thank you for the example of our brother Barnabas. He glorified you. And he loved you and he lived for you, Lord God. Help us all to do that more. We love you and praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.